Book One, Section Forty of Tusculan Disputations by Cicero, translated by Charles Duke Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Forty. Let us then despise all these follies, for what softer name can I give to such levities? And let us lay the foundation of our happiness in the strength and greatness of our minds, in a contempt and disregard of all earthly things, and in the practice of every virtue. For at present we are enervated by the softness of our imaginations, so that, should we leave this world before the promises of our fortune-tellers are made good to us, we should think ourselves deprived of some great advantages, and seem disappointed and forlorn. But if, through life, we are in continual suspense, still expecting, still desiring, and are in continual pain and torture, good gods, how pleasant must that journey be which ends in security and ease! How pleased am I with Theramenes! Of how exalted a soul does he appear! For, although we never read of him without tears, yet that illustrious man is not to be lamented in his death, who, when he had been imprisoned by the command of the thirty tyrants, drank off, at one draught, as if he had been thirsty, the poisoned cup, and threw the remainder out of it with such force that it sounded as it fell. And then, on hearing the sound of the drops, he said, with a smile, I drink this to the most excellent Critias, who had been his most bitter enemy, for it is customary among the Greeks at their banquets to name the person to whom they intend to deliver the cup. This celebrated man was pleasant to the last, even when he had received the poison into his bowels, and truly foretold the death of that man whom he named when he drank the poison, and that death soon followed who that thinks death an evil could approve of the evenness of temper in this great man at the instant of dying socrates came a few years after to the same prison and the same cup by as great iniquity on the part of his judges as the tyrants displayed when they executed theramenes what a speech is that which plato makes him deliver before his judges after they had condemned him to death forty one I am not without hopes, O judges, that it is a favourable circumstance for me that I am condemned to die, for one of these two things must necessarily happen. Either that death will deprive me entirely of all sense, or else that, by dying, I shall go from hence into some other place. Wherefore, if all sense is utterly extinguished, and if death is like that sleep which sometimes is so undisturbed as to be even without the visions of dreams in that case o oh, ye good gods what gain is it to die or what length of days can be imagined which would be preferable to such a night and if the constant course of future time is to resemble that night who is happier than i am but if on the other hand what is said be true namely that death is but a removal to those regions where the souls of the departed dwell, then that state must be more happy still to have escaped from those who call themselves judges, and to appear before such as are truly so. 
Minus, Radamanthus, Eacus, Triptolemus, and to meet with those who have lived with justice and probity. Can this change of abode appear otherwise than great to you? What bounds can you set to the value of conversing with Orpheus, and Musaeus, and Homer, and Hesiod? I would even, were it possible, willingly die often in order to prove the certainty of what I speak of. What delight must it be to meet with Palamides and Ajax and others who have been betrayed by the iniquity of their judges? Then also should I experience the wisdom of even that king of kings who led his vast troops to Troy, and the prudence of Ulysses and Sisyphus. Nor should I then be condemned for prosecuting my inquiries on such subjects in the same way in which I have done here on earth. And even you, my judges, you, I mean, who have voted for my acquittal, do not you fear death, for nothing bad can befall a good man, whether he be alive or dead, nor are his concerns ever overlooked by the gods, nor in my case either has this befallen me by chance, and I have nothing to charge those men with who accused or condemned me but the fact that they believed that they were doing me harm. In this manner he proceeded. There is no part of his speech which I admire more than his last words. But it is time, says he, for me now to go hence, that I may die, and for you, that you may continue to live. Which condition of the two is the best, the immortal gods know, but I do not believe that any mortal man does. 42. Surely, I would rather have had this man's soul than all the fortunes of those who sat in judgment on him, although that very thing which he says, no one except the gods know, namely, whether life or death is most preferable, he knows himself, for he had previously stated his opinion on it, but he maintained to the last that favorite maxim of his of affirming nothing. And, let us, too, adhere to this rule of not thinking anything an evil which is a general provision of nature, and let us assure ourselves that if death is an evil, it is an eternal evil, for death seems to be the end of a miserable life, but if death is a misery, there can be no end of that. But why do I mention Socrates or Theramenes, men distinguished by the glory of virtue and wisdom? when a certain Lacedaemonian, whose name is not so much as known, held death in such contempt that, when led to it by the ephori, he bore a cheerful and pleasant countenance, and, when he was asked by one of his enemies whether he despised the laws of Lycurgus, on the contrary, answered he, I am greatly obliged to him, for he has immersed me in a fine which I can pay without borrowing or taking up money at interest. This was a man worthy of Sparta, and I am almost persuaded of his innocence because of the greatness of his soul. Our own city has produced many such, but why should I name generals and other men of high rank, when Cato could write that legions have marched with alacrity to that place from whence they never expected to return? With no less greatness of soul fell the Lacedaemonians at Thermopylae, on whom Simonides wrote the following epitaph. Go, stranger, tell the Spartans, here we lie, 
who to support their laws durst boldly die what was it that leonidas their general said to them march on with courage my lacedaemonians to-night perhaps we shall sup in the regions below this was a brave nation while the laws of lycurgus were in force one of them when a persian had said to him in conversation we shall hide the sun from your sight by the number of our arrows and darts replied we shall fight then in the shade do i talk of their men how great was that lacedaemonian woman who had sent her son to battle and when she heard that he was slain said i bore him for that purpose that you might have a man who durst die for his country however it is a matter of notoriety that the spartans were bold and hardy for the discipline of a republic has great influence forty three what then have we not reason to admire theodorus the cyrenian a philosopher of no small distinction who when lysimachus threatened to crucify him bade him keep those menaces for his courtiers to theodorus it makes no difference whether he wrought in the air or underground by which saying of the philosopher i am reminded to say something of the custom of funerals and sepulture and of funeral ceremonies which is indeed not a difficult subject especially if we recollect what has been before said about insensibility the opinion of socrates respecting this matter is clearly stated in the book which treats of his death of which we have already said so much for when he had discussed the immortality of the soul and when the time of his dying was approaching rapidly being asked by creton how he would be buried i have taken a great deal of pains saith he my friends to no purpose for i have not convinced our creton that i shall fly from hence and leave no part of me behind notwithstanding creton if you can overtake me wheresoever you get hold of me bury me as you please but believe me none of you will be able to catch me when i have flown away from hence that was excellently said inasmuch as he allows his friend to do as he pleased and yet shows his indifference about anything of this kind diogenes was rougher though of the same opinion but in his character of a cynic he expressed himself in a somewhat harsher manner he ordered himself to be thrown anywhere without being buried and when his friends replied what to the birds and beasts by no means saith he place my staff near me that i may drive them away how can you do that they answer for you will not perceive them how am i then injured by being torn by those animals if i have no sensation anaxagoras when he was at the point of death at lampsacus and was asked by his friends whether if anything should happen to him he would not choose to be carried to clazomenae his country made this excellent answer there is says he no occasion for that for all places are at an equal distance from the infernal regions there is one thing to be observed with respect to the whole subject of burial that it relates to the body whether the soul live or die now with regard to the body it is clear that whether the soul live or die that has no sensation forty four but all things are full of errors achilles drags hector tied to his chariot he thinks i suppose he tears his flesh and that hector feels the pain of it 
therefore he avenges himself on him as he imagines but hecuba bewails this as a sore misfortune i saw a dreadful sight great hector slain dragged at achilles car along the plain what hector or how long will he be hector Axius is better in this and achilles too is sometimes reasonable i hector's body to his sire conveyed hector i sent to the infernal shade it was not hector that you dragged along but a body that had been hector's here another starts from underground and will not suffer his mother to sleep to thee i call my once loved parent here nor longer with thy sleep relieve thy care thine eye which pities not is closed arise lingering i wait the unpaid obsequies when these verses are sung with a slow and melancholy tune so as to affect the whole theatre with sadness one can scarce help thinking those unhappy that are unburied ere the devouring dogs and hungry vultures he is afraid he shall not have the use of his limbs so well if they are torn to pieces but is under no such apprehensions if they are burned nor leave my naked bones my poor remains to shameful violence and bloody stains i do not understand what he could fear who could pour forth such excellent verses to the sound of the flute we must therefore adhere to this that nothing is to be regarded after we are dead though many people revenge themselves on their dead enemies thyestes pours forth several curses in some good lines of Aeneas, praying first of all that atreus may perish by a shipwreck which is certainly a very terrible thing for such a death is not free from very grievous sensations then follow these unmeaning expressions may on the sharp rock his mangled carcass lie his entrails torn to hungry birds a prey may he convulsive writhe his bleeding side and with his clotted gore the stones be dyed the rocks themselves were not more destitute of feeling than he who was hanging to them by his side though thyestes imagines he is wishing him the greatest torture it would be torture indeed if he were sensible but as he is not it can be none then how very unmeaning is this let him still hovering o'er the stygian wave ne'er reach the body's peaceful port the grave you see under what mistaken notions all this is said he imagines the body has its haven and that the dead are at rest in their graves pelops was greatly to blame in not having informed and taught his son what regard was due to everything forty five but what occasion is there to animadvert on the opinions of individuals when we may observe whole nations to fall into all sorts of errors the egyptians embalm their dead and keep them in their houses the persians dress them over with wax and then bury them that they may preserve their bodies as long as possible it is customary with the magi to bring none of their order unless they have been first torn by wild beasts in hyrcania the people maintain dogs for the public use the nobles have their own and we know that they have a good breed of dogs 
but every one, according to his ability, provides himself with some, in order to be torn by them, and they hold that to be the best kind of interment. Chrysippus, who is curious in all kinds of historical facts, has collected many other things of this kind, but some of them are so offensive as not to admit of being related. All that has been said of burying is not worth our regard with respect to ourselves, though it is not to be neglected as to our friends, provided we are thoroughly aware that the dead are insensible. But the living indeed should consider what is due to custom and opinion, only they should at the same time consider that the dead are no ways interested in it. But death truly is then met with the greatest tranquillity when the dying man can comfort himself with his own praise. No one dies too soon who has finished the course of perfect virtue. I myself have known many occasions when I have seemed in danger of immediate death. Oh, how I wish it had come to me, for I have gained nothing by the delay. I had gone over and over again the duties of life. Nothing remained but to contend with fortune. If reason, then, cannot sufficiently fortify us to enable us to feel a contempt for death, at all events let our past life prove that we have lived long enough, and even longer than was necessary, for notwithstanding the deprivation of sense, the dead are not without that good which peculiarly belongs to them, namely the praise and glory which they have acquired, even though they are not sensible of it. For although there be nothing in glory to make it desirable, yet it follows virtue as its shadow, and the genuine judgment of the multitude on good men, if ever they form any, is more to their own praise than of any real advantage to the dead. Yet I cannot say, however it may be received, that Lycurgus and Solon have no glory from their laws, and from the political constitution which they established in their country or that Themistocles and Epaminondas have not glory from their martial virtue. 46. For Neptune shall sooner bury Salamis itself with his waters than the memory of the trophies gained there, and the Boeotian Leuctra shall perish sooner than the glory of that great battle, and longer still shall fame be before it deserts Curius and Fabricius and Calatinus, and the two Scipios, and the two Africani, and Maximus, and Marcellus, and Paulus, and Cato, and Lilius, and numberless other heroes. And whoever has caught any resemblance of them, not estimating it by common fame, but by the real applause of good men, may, with confidence, when the occasion requires, approach death, on which we are sure that even if the chief good is not continued, at least no evil is. Such a man would even wish to die while in prosperity, for all the favours that could be heaped on him would not be so agreeable to him as the loss of them would be painful. That speech of the Lacedaemonian seems to have the same meaning, who, when Diagoras the Rhodian, who had himself been a conqueror at the Olympic Games, sought two of his own sons, conquerors, there on the same day, approached the old man, and congratulating him, said, You should die now, Diagoras, for no greater happiness can possibly await you. The Greeks look on these as great things, 
perhaps they think too highly of them, or rather they did so then. And so he who said this to Diagoras, looking on it as something very glorious, that three men out of one family should have been conquerors there, thought it could answer no purpose to him to continue any longer in life, where he could only be exposed to a reverse of fortune. I might have given you a sufficient answer, as it seems to me on this point, in a few words, as you had allowed the dead were not exposed to any positive evil. But I have spoken at greater length on the subject for this reason, because this is our greatest consolation in the losing and bewailing of our friends. For we ought to bear with moderation any grief which arises from ourselves, or is endured on our own account, lest we should seem to be too much influenced by self-love. But should we suspect our departed friends to be under those evils which they are generally imagined to be, and to be sensible of them, then such a suspicion would give us intolerable pain, and accordingly I wished for my own sake to pluck up this opinion by the roots, and on that account I have been perhaps somewhat more prolix than was necessary. 47. A. More prolix than was necessary? Certainly not, in my opinion, for I was induced by the former part of your speech to wish to die, but by the latter sometimes not to be unwilling, and at others to be wholly indifferent about it. But the effect of your whole argument is that I am convinced that death ought not to be classed among the evils. M. Do you then expect that I am to give you a regular peroration like the rhetoricians, or shall I forego that art? A. I would not have you give over an art which you have set off to such advantage, and you were in the right to do so, for, to speak the truth, it also has set you off. But what is that peroration? For I should be glad to hear it, whatever it is. M. It is customary in the schools to produce the opinions of the immortal gods on death, nor are these opinions the fruits of the imagination alone of the lecturers, but they have the authority of Herodotus and many others. Cleobis and Beton are the first they mention, sons of the Argive priestess. The story is a well-known one. As it was necessary that she should be drawn in a chariot to a certain annual sacrifice, which was solemnized at a temple some considerable distance from the town, and the cattle that were to draw the chariot had not arrived, those two young men whom I have just mentioned, pulling off their garments and anointing their bodies with oil, harnessed themselves to the yoke, and in this manner the priestess was conveyed to the temple, and when the chariot had arrived at the proper place, she is said to have entreated the goddess to bestow on them, as a reward for their piety, the greatest gift that a god could confer on man. And the young men, after having feasted with their mother, fell asleep, and in the morning they were found dead. Trophonius and Agamedes are said to have put up the same petition, for they, having built a temple to Apollo at Delphi, offered supplications to the god, and desired of him some extraordinary reward for their care and labor, particularizing nothing but asking for whatever was best for men. Accordingly Apollo signified to them that he would bestow it on them in three days, and on the third day at daybreak they were found dead. 
and so they say that this was a formal decision pronounced by that god to whom the rest of the deities have assigned the province of divining with an accuracy superior to that of all the rest forty eight there is also a story told of silenus who when taken prisoner by midas is said to have made him this present for his ransom namely that he informed him that never to have been born was by far the greatest blessing that could happen to man and that the next best thing was to die very soon which very opinion euripides makes use of in his cresphontus saying when man is born tis fit with solemn show we speak our sense of his approaching woe with other gestures and a different eye proclaim our pleasure when he's bid to die there is something like this in crantor's consolation for he says that terenius of elysia when he was bitterly lamenting the loss of his son came to a place of divination to be informed why he was visited with so great affliction and received in his tablet these three verses thou fool to murmur at euthanus death the blooming youth to fate resigns his breath the fate whereon your happiness depends at once the parent and the son befriends on these and similar authorities they affirm that the question has been determined by the gods nay more alcidemus an ancient rhetorician of the very highest reputation wrote even in praise of death which he endeavoured to establish by an enumeration of the evils of life and his dissertation has a great deal of eloquence in it but he was unacquainted with the more refined arguments of the philosophers by the orators indeed to die for our country is always considered not only as glorious but even as happy they go back as far as erechtheus whose very daughters underwent death for the safety of their fellow-citizens they instance codrus who threw himself into the midst of his enemies dressed like a common man that his royal robes might not betray him because the oracle had declared the athenians conquerors if their king was slain Menesius is not overlooked by them who in compliance with the injunctions of an oracle freely shed his blood for his country iphigenia ordered herself to be conveyed to aulis to be sacrificed that her blood might be the cause of spilling that of her enemies forty nine from hence they proceed to instances of a fresher date harmodius and aristogiton are in everybody's mouth the memory of leonidas the lacedaemonian and epaminondas the theban is as fresh as ever those philosophers were not acquainted with the many instances in our country to give a list of whom would take up too much time who we see considered death desirable as long as it was accompanied with honour but notwithstanding this is the correct view of the case we must use much persuasion speak as if we were endued with some higher authority in order to bring men to begin to wish to die or cease to be afraid of death for if that last day does not occasion an entire extinction but a change of abode only what can be more desirable and if it on the other hand destroys and absolutely puts an end to us what can be preferable to the having a deep sleep fall on us in the midst of the fatigues of life and being thus overtaken 
to sleep to eternity. And should this really be the case, then Aeneas's language is more consistent with wisdom than Solon's, for our Aeneas says, Let none bestow upon my passing beer one needless sigh or unavailing tear. But the wise Solon says, Let me not unlamented die, but o'er my beer burst forth the tender sigh, the friendly tear. But let us, if indeed it should be our fate to know the time which is appointed by the gods for us to die, prepare ourselves for it with a cheerful and grateful mind, thinking ourselves like men who are delivered from a jail, and released from their fetters, for the purpose of going back to our eternal habitation, which may be more emphatically called our own, or else to be divested of all sense and trouble. If, on the other hand, we should have no notice given us of this decree, yet let us cultivate such a disposition as to look on that formidable hour of death as happy for us, though shocking to our friends, and let us never imagine anything to be an evil which is an appointment of the immortal gods, or of nature the common parent of all. For it is not by hazard or without design that we have been born and situated as we have. On the contrary, beyond all doubt there is a certain power which consults the happiness of human nature, and this would neither have produced nor provided for a being which, after having gone through the labours of life, was to fall into eternal misery by death. Let us rather infer that we have a retreat and haven prepared for us, which I wish we could crowd all sail and arrive at. But though the winds should not serve, and we should be driven back, yet we shall to a certainty arrive at that point eventually, though somewhat later. But how can that be miserable for one which all must of necessity undergo? I have given you a peroration that you might not think I had overlooked or neglected anything. E. I am persuaded you have not, and indeed that peroration has confirmed me. M. I am glad it has had that effect, but it is now time to consult our health. Tomorrow, and all the time we continue in this Tusculan villa, let us consider this subject, and especially those portions of it which may ease our pain, alleviate our fears, and lessen our desires, which is the greatest advantage we can reap from the whole of philosophy. End of Book One